Amen. Thank you, Leah, so much. Uh, so good to make that declaration this morning together. Amen. Uh, just in response to the love of God for us. And excited to begin uh, the next day in this series and this theme of It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, if you were here yesterday, um, just real briefly, uh, if, or if you weren't here yesterday, just to set up this week, uh, again, for some of you, maybe you say, it is well with my soul, it might be a question mark at the end of that statement. And depending on where you're at, what battles you're facing, what trials you have before you. Uh, but by God's grace today, and hopefully by the end of this week even, um, through our time of, of hearing from speakers, engaging in prayer, uh, worshiping together, we can say, it is well with my soul, and put an exclamation point um, at the end of that statement. And we're really excited and thankful and delighted to have uh, Susie Larson back with us this morning. And so uh, Susie Larson has been a part of uh, KTIS on the media side, Faith Radio, for uh, approximately 13 years. She spent eight years hosting it, uh, Living the Promise in the afternoons from 3 to 5 p.m. Um, had took a, a brief hiatus and, uh, and came back uh, just, just last week and is hosting a show from noon to one. So if you want to uh, hear her, you can tune in or it's also um, it's podcasted so you can go uh, on the Faith Radio's website and listen anytime you would like. But I, I really appreciate um, just the, the hard-fought wisdom and the authenticity um, from that place of intimacy that's been cultivated over decades that Susie shares uh, with her audiences, whether that's on the radio or that's here uh, before you guys. And so she's one of our very own uh, here at Northwestern, and so, so blessed to have her back again. And uh, would you please give a warm Northwestern snowy welcome to Susie Larson. And again, we want to pray over her as well as over our own hearts. And so uh, let's extend a hand out over Susie and a hand up as we pray for ourselves as well. Father, thank you that in Jesus' name we can declare we love you this morning. Lord, we know that we can only do so because you have first loved us. And thank you that your love for us is not based upon our performance or our behavior, but it's based upon your character. For you are love. And thank you that your love is steadfast and movable and unchanging and is uh, always and forever kind of love and that one that we can hold on to and cling to this morning. And so, Father, thank you so much that uh, because of your love that we can gather together to encounter you together in community. Thank you for bringing Susie back again for the second day. And we pray that you would fill her and energize her with your spirit. I pray that you would guide her thoughts guard her heart, govern her words, and as she speaks, may there be unction, may there be an anointing, Lord, uh, may there be a, a gospel fluency that as she speaks that um, your words would flow in and through her, and Father, we know that your word does not return void, and we pray that you would help us to lean in, to pay attention, to open wide our hearts to receive all that you have for us in your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Do you know how blessed you are to have a leader like that? I wonder if we could give Justin an amazing hand. Wow. He's the real deal. What, a, what an honor to serve alongside him. and such an honor to be with you. The fact that you're here after a blizzard, I mean, you guys ain't no sissies. I'm just saying. I'm an author. I can say that. You ain't no sissies. I'm really proud of you for being here this morning. Yesterday I talked about how he restores our soul and how it takes tenacious hope sometimes because there's 
things, lies we picked up when life let us down. There's trauma, hurt, loss that every single one of us have encountered. And unless we reconcile some of the messages and those experiences under the light of God's love, those things will get stuck in our soul and they will push out into our physiology. They'll affect our health. They'll affect our emotions, our perspective, our relationships. And there will be a time when God allows a storm in our life, an overplayed enemy attack, to bring some of those lies to the surface so he can set us free and heal us. The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. That's what we talked about yesterday. Well, this morning I want to talk about the idea that fear destroys and love heals. Fear destroys and love heals. As Justin mentioned yesterday, I've been married kind of a long time. Next month it'll be our 34th wedding anniversary. Yeah, come on. That's something. And uh, my husband's six foot three, 255 pounds, and he's, he's like an oak tree, and he's a steady, just steady, eddy, gentle giant. He's also a commercial construction manager. He was one of the senior project managers on the Twin Stadium. He's building the soccer stadium now and a lot to do with Mall of America. I always like to say he builds large buildings and then leaps them in a single bound. He's, um, he's that guy. But when we first got married, the thing that was so tricky for me to get used to is what a giant of a man that he was. Every movement he made was a large muscle movement. And so if he would be trying to just, you know, get his arm around me, nine out of 10 times he'd clock me in the face first act time. You know, oh, oh, and my nose would get red and he'd be like, sorry, sorry, sorry. And, and, he, and like he would tie his one shoe and boom, put it on the ground and tie his next shoe. And I mean, I'd feel the whole house shake and, or he'd slam the door shut after he'd get, and he's not, he's not an angry guy. He's just like, he'd get the spoon out of the door and bam, it shut. Like, I'm like, you guys need that kind of force, honey, you know? And uh, remember, this has happened multiple times where I'd be in bed reading a book with my cup of tea. And in his world, just pulling the covers back to crawl in bed. But in reality, it was gale force winds. And he'd go whoosh like that. And I mean, hard enough to send my tea flying one way and my book the other way, multiple <laughs> times. Where I'd, and he'd just, his eyes would get big and like, ooh, like, sorry, you know? And uh, kind of cultivated and, um, into a crisis moment when, um, now we had three little kids, so, and no money, and I was battling Lyme disease, so our life was hard. And yet we got to get away for a 24-hour period to go to a friend's wedding. So our um, in-laws were watching our kids. And I mean, I had all kinds of food allergies. So it's just like, and we had no money. So just to, I had a soy chai latte. I had white pants on because it was April 1st, even though there were four feet of snow on the ground. But I'm like, go spring, you know. So I'm riding in the car. I got my wedding outfit, you know. I'm so excited to dance with my husband at the reception and just have a date night out and I'm holding my soy chai. And my dear husband went to grab something out of the center console of the truck. I know, you see where this is going? And he just clotheslines me. He goes, and he hits the cup and the cover comes off and the soy chai goes all over my lap, on my hair and into my purse. And I literally had to do like, I don't know if you know what mama's breathing is, but it's something you do in your labor. You have to focus and breathe so you don't lose your mind. So I'm like focusing and breathing. And did not just spill this thing. It looks like I wet my pants. You know, I just like couldn't believe it. And so he felt so bad. And so he pulls into Target and buys me another outfit and we were good. But anyway, so we came up with a rule that anytime that I have any kind of liquid and he's anywhere in the vicinity, he just needs to say, permission to move. <laughs> and I hold on to my cup. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. You know, but even my boys who are Giants, too. I mean, we had these narrow windows in our living room, and they'd come down to, we'd be sitting around the living room before they went to school, 
and my husband would step in front of the window and the room would go dark. I mean, and the boys would call that a Kevin eclipse. They're like, Kevin eclipse, dad, we want to see daylight. Can you move from the window, please? You know? And I'll tell you one more funny thing about that is that we were all sitting on our bed, a couple of them were home from college and we all had our laptops open, we were just talking. And my husband rolls up on his side to engage in the conversation and my middle son Luke says, Dad, I, I just lost internet service. Can you lay flat again? <laughs> True story. And he laid flat and we, anyway. So, but one morning, you know, I was just thanking the Lord for him because that man, if you can imagine, he said in sickness and in health and our vows, and, and he had a sick wife for a lot of those early years. He was a young man. So many men, lesser men, would have kept driving and not come home to three little kids and a very sick wife. And he is a gentle giant. In every way that matters, he is just as solid as they come. And I was just thanking God. And I was just laughing about some of the times I've been clocked in the face by this man that I love, you know. And I was thinking, you know, he's just moving in proportion to his size. He's a big guy, so his movements are good, you know. And I just happened to have the Bible open in my lap. And I was just reflecting, too, on the greatness of our God. The Bible says that the earth responds to God. The earth trembles in the presence of the living God. That the blast of his breath, the bottom of the ocean can be seen. That the trees clap their hands. I mean, you look at evidence in scripture of times when even the manifest presence of God comes to earth. The earth quakes, you know? I mean, it is absolutely amazing. In fact, scripture says all of creation groans and eagerly waits for God to point out who are his children, who his children really are. I mean, creation responds to the presence of the living God. God created the sun, yet we can't get close enough to the, too close to the sun without being burned up. God created the sun. We can't get near the sun without being burned up. Why can we get near God? God, how can that be? Well, Jesus made a way. He made a way so that we could enter not only into his presence boldly and confidently, but we can be assured that he's super glad to see us. I want you to picture Jesus with a smile all the way up to his eyes. He's so glad to see you. Why is it we're not consumed when we come boldly into the presence of the most holy God? We cannot look upon one ounce of sin. And yet every day we make it about us. We think about us. We think unkind thoughts about others. We are a pile of contradictions, every one of us. We're kind and we're cruel. We're grateful, we're grumpy. We're unselfish, we're selfish. Yet we can get into God's presence because of what Jesus has done. In Lamentations in the Old Testament, it says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never cease. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So when you blow it and when you don't, his compassion is an ocean for you. Isn't that amazing? I think I said this yesterday, and I've had multiple speaking events, so I don't remember which one I said it at, but that you never get this from God. <laughs> He's not going to roll his eyes at you and breathe a heavy sigh and wonder why you can't get it together. One of my favorite quotes is from Graham Cook, and he says, God is not disillusioned with you. He never had any illusions about you in the first place. Don't you love that? He knew who he was getting when he got you. He loves you. He's sold on the idea of you. You can come boldly in his presence, confident, humble, and grateful. Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To not fear God is a very unwise thing, and there are plenty of Christians who don't fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to start to be wise, rightly revere and honor God. But scripture also says there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Well, both of those fear words are different in the original translation. There's no fear in love means there's no terror, dread, trauma. And you think about a child who's got a dad 
who's prone to anger, who's consistently inconsistent. He will have that bubble sphere where he's covering his head because he doesn't know when the father's going to blow. But the true fear of the Lord, that's a reverent fear, an awesome fear, where you know you're going to do what God says because you know what God, that God's going to do, what God says he's going to do. And you're all too, uh, too young to remember this unless you've read about it. But in, in the, I want to say it was probably in the 80s, there was a televangelist named Jim Baker. And he and his wife were uh, the stereotypical televangelists. They were raising so much money and building their empire. They even built kind of like a Christian Disney world. And I remember as a young, sick mom with no money, turning that TV on and just cringing inside, going, this is not right. This just feels so icky to me. And I'm sure they started out meaning well, but it just turned into them building their kingdom. And I would just pray for them and say, God, have mercy. And, have, and on all those who are sowing all this money into this ministry, I just remember feeling sick about it. Well, eventually, uh, he was indicted for wire fraud and, and uh, fraudulently taking money and spending it in ways he shouldn't and went to prison, went to jail. And you know who the first person was to visit him was Billy Graham. I just think that is amazing. Most people hated the guy for what he had done. But Billy Graham, such a humble guy, went to visit him. When he got out of prison, John Bevere, another author speaker, uh, went to interview him. And he said, Jim, tell me, when did you stop loving Jesus? Like at what point, because I know you started out loving Jesus, but when did you stop loving Jesus to the point where you could do what you did? And he goes, oh, I never stopped loving Jesus. And he said, sure you did. I mean, how can you say you love Jesus and you did what you did? He goes, I never stopped loving Jesus. I stopped fearing God. The thing is, if you fear God, the devil will fear you. If you don't fear God, the devil, you make him very happy because he'll find all kinds of access to your soul. And so often we fear the wrong things. You fear God to the extent that you fear God. Will Jesus himself destroy the works of the devil in your life? That reverential awe is to be bothered about your sin, is to feel the, the, the winds of the Holy Spirit within you and then respond to it, not brush off the voice of the Lord. Don't harden your heart when the Lord speaks to you, like the scripture says. You honor and fear God. He will not only use you, he will promote you, and he will destroy the work of the devil in your life. And for those of you who heard my story yesterday, I had some childhood trauma that caused fear to enter my life. And then when I was bit by the deer tick, unknowingly contracted Lyme disease as a young mom, a fear went deeper in my life. I've had an all-out battle with fear over the years and have defeated fear on different levels, but not to the degree that I did in this last health relapse. I don't have the fear thing anymore. I mean, it was a D-Day battle, fight to the finish for me. Now, I knew, and I've known for years, that... Scripture says, I think, 365 times, do not fear. Enough for one for every day, right? I knew it said that. Easier said than done when you're somebody who's endured trauma. I knew I shouldn't fear, but I just did. And I had legitimate things to fear, especially with these new neurological symptoms. Any kind of neurological disease is a horrific one. And uh, when I was relapsing, we didn't know if it was Lyme. It could have been something much worse. So fear was just winning the day. And both of my doctors, who are Christians, said, Suze, you got to do something about the fear, because here's what you need to know. Now, I want you to hear this, that when you allow fear in your life, this was new information for me. You literally open the door in your physical body for a cascade of inflammation to enter your body. Well, disease and sickness grow in inflammation. That's where all disease and sickness grows, is in an inflammatory setting. So when you're allowing fear to run rampant in your body, inflammation rises up. 
And for all of you, we all have different weaknesses. Maybe you have a bad knee, or maybe you have a tendency towards anxiety, or whatever. The inflammation will attack your weak area, just like the enemy will attack your weak area. And when these doctors said, whatever you have to do to get rid of fear, you have to do it. Because what I was diagnosed with was something called chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And I couldn't afford fear. And so suddenly, in my brain, I thought, okay, I understand this now. I want to live. i got to fight this thing. I started to interview experts on brain science and on, on health. And I found something so fascinating. Your brain runs on one of two motivational fuels only. You have fuel for your brain, and it only runs on one of these two, fear or love. Is that amazing? Scientists have determined this. Scientists, apart from faith, have determined we're either running on fear or we're running on love. But fear will destroy us every time. So for me, as a disciplined person who's trying to fight for my life, I drink 70 ounces of water a day. I have an infrared sauna in my home. I work out six times a week. I eat really clean. But when they did all my lab work, I was 70 ounces. The picture of uh, a 70, well, three giant jugs of pop, like that soda, that much, three liters, hello, I can talk, short of fluid in my body. I was severely dehydrated, even though I was drinking all that water. I was malnourished, even though I was eating healthy food. And I'm like, how can that be? They said, when you get into fear, which I was so, so afraid and so stressed out about what was happening in my body. When you get into fear, your cells go into self-protection. They kind of do like the roly poly bug, they cover up. So even if you are eating decent, it just flies off of you and your body doesn't absorb it. The fear response in your body is so costly to your mental health, to your emotions, and to your physiology. In fact, studies have shown, like when they look at uh, professional football players, and some, you know, end up with all kinds of issues after they're done playing a few short years as young guys. You know, they're getting out of the season and they're messed up mentally, emotionally, and then physically. But there are others who just sort of bounce back and they fare pretty well. You know what they found out? That the guys who make all this money and go party and they drink a lot of alcohol, they eat a lot of junk, and they're staying out late, um, they're, they've got a high inflammatory response in their body. And then they're getting slammed into, which creates more inflammation, their bodies can't handle it. But when someone's wise enough to eat clean, to get a good bedtime, to do the things that they need to do, you can handle a little bit of a blow and still respond to it. And there's another, my doctor told me this story. He said there was a young 40-something guy who drank monster drinks every day, stopped at the local 7-Eleven, got a cinnamon roll, you know, lived on caffeine and then took to something to sleep at night. So he was constantly in fight flight all the time. He was rear-ended in a parking lot at five miles an hour, and his body went into such an inflammatory response, his back torqued, it took him months to get better. Around that same time, my doctor saw this couple, 80 years old, who ate clean, exercised, they had a lot of faith, and they watched and guarded their thoughts, and they were in a head-on collision, and they walked away with almost out of stress. And I wanna just tell you, I'm just, because we're talking health, we're talking restoration and soul stuff, high inflammatory, um, factors are not enough sleep, too much caffeine, too much sugar, alcohol, um, trying to think of what else. Um, there are a few others, but they're leaving me now. But when you think about the culture that we live in is to race, strive, drive, strive, drive, monster drink, caffeine, whatever, don't sleep. I'm telling you, even though you are in your peak as far as your, your health and your age, your body will break down and is not made to handle that kind of a strain and stress. It would be so wise for you at your age, if there's some way you could find out, not only to shut down fear in your life, but to try to lower the inflammatory factors so that your body can stay healthy. Two motivational fuels, fear and love. I had to decide 
to practice a zero tolerance policy on fear, right in the face of my fear battle. And you, I can't explain to you how hard that was unless you had something to legitimately fear too. But while my face and my arms are going numb and the room is spinning and my vision is blurring and my head felt like it was just going to explode, I'm like, I will not fear. I'm turning my back on fear and I'm embracing the fact that God's is good, his promises are true, and he will always make a way for me. Another thing that I learned from this brain experts is the way that our brain works. And it makes so much sense. Our bodies respond to our most consistent choices, making those choices easier and easier, whether they're good for us or bad for us. So you, whatever your thoughts are on repeat, and you all have a pattern of thinking, all of us do. When your brain starts to pick up on the fact, I keep going to insecurity or to inferiority or to fear, First, it's like blazing a trail through a cornfield, but you keep going there, so suddenly it gets paved like a blacktop. But you keep going there, pretty soon it's a four-lane superhighway, and you can get there faster and faster because your brain is trying to help you become efficient in your most consistent choices. I had a four-lane superhighway of fear in my brain. And what happens when you go there again and again is that you get more and more triggers that will trigger you to fear. When I learned that if I put a road close sign in my brain and go, I'm not going there anymore, I have to form a new thought process. After about a month, if you stop having those kinds of thoughts, your brain literally deletes that pattern. Isn't that amazing? And this, this may be boring to you, I hope it's not, because you have a pattern of thinking that's either weakening you or strengthening you. You've got a pattern of thinking that's diminishing you or it's building you up. You know, God has a voice and a word over your life. The enemy does as well. And you're the one who casts a deciding vote. And fear will destroy you. You've got to be ruthless with some of the thoughts that weaken you. Psalm 34, 4-7 says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. And he saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. And this is from my book, Fully Alive. That's why we need to walk with Jesus through our past and let him speak to us about what's happened to us and about what we've done so he can show us that his love is more powerful than enough to redeem and heal every aspect of who we are. When our souls heal, our physiology changes. When our souls heal, our whole body, our health, everything changes. When our brains start to grasp the Father's love amidst the devil's attempts to destroy us, our perspective changes, our thought process changes, and we are made new. I was talking to a, a trauma counselor who helps women who come back from human trafficking and they're seeing women actually recover. And human trafficking is basically rape for profit. I want you to imagine how, I just don't even imagine. It's so terrible when you think about what these women are going through. And he's seeing great results in some of these women coming back and living full and free lives. And he's an expert on, on healing the brain and healing the soul. And so I asked him, what do you do when you have fears? How do you, when you're supposed to just, when you see all these posters, just face it down and put it under your feet? And he says, absolutely not. That's not how you do it. He said, you got to get into the presence of the Father's love because it's perfect love that casts out fear. He said, if you are all stirred up in your fear, it's like asking a child to go into a dark room, face it down, put it under your feet. And he says, you're not wired for that. He says, what you need to do when you're afraid is get back into the presence of the Father and remember his love. Picture a father picking up a child who's afraid, holding that child close, assuring that child, I love you, I'm with you, I am not going anywhere. Now we're going into that room together. The father carries the child into the room, flips on the light, and the child is okay. He says, that's how you heal. 
from a few, and it means perfect sins, perfect love, casts out fear. When you feel your fears stirred up, and I have to imagine some in this room have battled fear. Anybody? Am I talking to anybody? Thank you. The answer is to get in the presence of God again and be reminded again of his love, and then picture him carrying you into that place because the enemy can't even stand the thought of you tucking yourself under the father's wing and letting him say, talk to the dad here, talk to my father. He'll walk you into that place and perfect love will cast out fear. I remember when I was a young mom and, and I hadn't fully wrestled this thing to the ground yet. And I remember just having a prayer time going, God, where is the victory? I read, I fast, I pray, I journal. I'm still afraid. I'm still insecure. I still care too much what people think about me. Where's the victory that I read about in your word? It's not happening for me. And it was one of those times where God had broken the silence in my life. And he said, Susie, I get that you love me, but you don't seem to get that I love you. So until I tell you different, every time you want to say, I love you, Lord, I want you to say, you love me, Lord. Turn it around. You love me, Lord. Say it now. And so I said, you love me, Lord. And it felt like a foreign language in my mouth. And he said, say it again. You love me. And I'd yell at my kids, and I'd feel terrible about it. He'd say, say it now. You can hear me. You love me, Lord. I would do something halfway decent, like not bird the dinner or something, you know, <laughs> whatever. You can hear. You love me, Lord. You love me, Lord. And after a while, as I started to affirm his love for me, something started to heal in me. And I started to wonder, is this just the power of positive thinking, or is this actually biblical? And I searched the scripture, and it's absolutely biblical. The Bible says it's not that we loved God. It's that he loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not about how high we can jump. It's that he stooped down to make us good. We have an aversion to grace. We have a, a bent on earning. You know, we just want to jump high, prove ourselves. But if we could just constantly remember that he loved us first. And my guest yesterday quoted Soren Kierkegaard. He said he not only loved us first that first time when we were saved, he loves us first every single day. Isn't that good? If you could start to reflect on, I mean, I, I'm telling you, and forgive me because I don't remember if I said this yesterday, I've had multiple events, but I notice for me, when my spiritual disciplines become ought to's and should do's, when prayer and fasting and reading the word and serving and writing checks out to ministries, when those start to feel like ought to's and should do's and not get to's, it's because I've lost sight of the love of God and I've put more on my shoulders than on his. And I get back again and I remember every day, he loved me first. I think if you tell your soul every day, he loved me first today, I'm going to live a kingdom life out of response to his love. And I said this yesterday, if we don't know his love, if we don't know that he sings over us, loves us, shouts with fatherly affection over us, we will misuse our time, treasure, and talents to prove something. Jesus has already proven. But to walk in the fear of God and to know his love and be so confident in his love, you will have a fearlessness about you. You'll be able to use your time, treasure, and talents in a way that matters. Why does that matter? Because there's a day of account coming where you will give an account for how you stewarded your time, treasure, and talents. You'll go before most high God. Your sins will have been accounted for in Christ Jesus, but you will give an account for how you stewarded your life. And scripture is very clear that some lived like practical atheists where they squandered their gifts just because they had no fear of God or because they didn't really believe what he said about them, and it all burns up. I'm telling you, this is what gets me out of bed every day, and, it, it, and I've got a very full life. It would have been easier not to come and do chapel. I'm just being honest, because I've got a full life. 
I'm so honored to be here, but I, what gets me out of bed every day is to mobilize the truth, to say there's a day coming, and literally Jesus could come at any moment. And we don't, none of us know if we have tomorrow, but we have a day where we are facing God, and we'll give an account. And we don't do it out of the terror fear, the phobos fear. We serve out of a reverent and awe before God, who is who he says he is, and means what he says, and he's going to do what he does. And may we live as ones who are spoken for, but to live in that sweet spot is to love him first every day. I have nothing to lose and all of eternity to live for. As you live in that love and affirm the fact that he loves you first, the gap will widen between how people affect you and how God affects you. Scripture says the fear of man is a trap. So to fear others' opinions is a snare. But to fear God, well, that's safety. That's freedom. I had several brain experts, as I said, on my show. And here are a few interesting things that I think will help you. One thing that will override rogue thoughts. If you have a tendency towards anxious thoughts, insecure thoughts, fearful thoughts, the one thing that will override those thoughts that you feel like you have no control over is the spoken word. Get to know his word. Start marching around your room and declare, he loves me first. I'm an overcomer. Overwhelming victory belongs to me. That will help you reroute your thoughts. Our wounds and our fears and our wrong beliefs, they will warp the story that we tell ourselves. And as a result, God's love, his message of love, will get lost in translation through us. I challenge you to practice a zero-tolerance policy on fear and anxiety. I know it's hard, but as you practice, 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 physiologically something will change, making it more instinctive for you to go to faith than to fear. This is very interesting. When we allow our emotions to rule the day, now our emotions are important and they're information, but when you, let your, you lead with your emotions, your brain eventually starts to look for facts to back up what your emotions are saying, even if the facts aren't there, even if they're not true. When emotions lead, your brain is gonna search and search. So what happens is you start to connect the dots, draw wrong conclusions, take things personally that were never meant that way. Our emotions can't lead the day. And the thing is, our brains are wired for love, our brains are wired to thrive. My doctor said, when I have, I used to have him on the show once a month, and he said, we are wired for a holy confidence, we're wired to thrive, and we are wired for love. So when we have repetitive thoughts of insecurity, it's like a car, trying to drive a car, with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. Things will break down. We are wired for love. We are wired for a holy confidence. And this is why we have to be ruthless and interrupt thoughts that weaken us. Because not only do they weaken our mental state, they weaken our emotional state and our physiology. Do you know when you have re repeated thoughts of insecurity, of inferiority, that your own brain structure diminishes, your capacity for learning diminishes? But if you could wake up every day and say, I'm someone God loves, and he's the creator, he's making me creative, I'm gonna live in a manner worthy of his name. Nothing will be impossible for me because I belong to him. This isn't just positive thinking. It truly is apprehending all the riches that God has made available. Real quickly here as I get ready to wrap up, I was asking God for a strategy. How do I get through this fear battle? And he gave me three steps. One, he says, you rest while I work, you feast while I fight, and then you wait to take flight. And I don't have time to unpack them, but you rest while I work. Finding a way to cease striving and know that he is God in the very places where you're in soul unrest, where you're in white knuckling, Psalm 4610 says, stop it. Let go, relax, sink down. That's what cease striving means, and know that he is God. Seek to experience him in that place. You rest while I work. As you let go of those places where you have soul unrest, 
and you know him and experience him in that place, you will see him work on your behalf. You feast while I fight, meaning you feast at the table. And Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The word table and that passage translates a king's table for private use and sacred use. You know what that means? On your battlefield, in the face of your enemy, Jesus himself brings his royal king's table on your battlefield and with steel in his eyes looking at that enemy prepares a feast for you. He will make sure that you have the nourishment and the provision that you have and his stamp of approval is on you, on your battlefield. So when that enemy's coming against you and you feel like you're losing ground, partake, see yourself as an heir of God at the table of grace and say, talk to him because he's going to fight for me. I'm going to eat right now. I'm going to take provision. <laughs> All right? And you wait to take flight. Isaiah 40 says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up in wings like eagles and run and not get weary. They will walk and not faint. Even young people will fall and stumble in exhaustion. But those who wait on the Lord, when you cultivate a habit of waiting on God, seeking him for strength, you will find new strength that you've not ever known before. A new power that's not customary for your age. It's an otherworldly proposition. As I get ready to pray here, now this might be a little out of the box for some of you, but I like to do something called listening prayer. When I get a sense the Lord wants to say something to me, I open my journal and I start to write. And I felt prompted to bring this today because I think it may be for one, two, or, or more of you. I'll read this and then I'll wrap in prayer. Listen to what I have to say to you, my precious one. I'm about to breathe fresh life into your soul and there'll be no missing it. You've waited a long time for your breakthrough and that moment is almost upon you. I will send messengers one after another to confirm my word to you. Don't be afraid, only believe. Dare to take the risks I put before you and trust me with every step. You don't have to keep yourself, I am your keeper. It brings my heart great joy to unleash you into this next season of your calling. I will silence your accusers and I will bless those who've been kind to you. Your test is also their test. Take time to reflect on my goodness because I'm forever for you. The battle on the earth is about to amp up. You will need to keep your armor on at all times. Don't take things personally. Stay fierce in battle and focused on the mission I've set before you. Quit wondering if I have a plan. Start preparing for it instead. Wait with expectancy, for I will surely come for you. I love you, my child. Father, I thank you for these precious, amazing students, today's and tomorrow's leaders. I pray you pour out your spirit in a way that helps them have a heightened understanding of your presence. I pray a new fear of God would rise up and with it just profound wisdom that they would become influencers and voices in their day. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I pray that they would know you in such a way that they would understand the times and they would know what to do. I commit these, your people, to you and I thank you that you are shouting with fatherly joy over them. You love them. May they know every single day that you love them first. Perfect love casts out fear. Thank you, Lord. We want to be fearless for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.